Hello there, this is Jason Dees, and this is the Think Through It podcast. Think Through It exists to help people think through the big questions of life and culture. On the Think Through It podcast, we'll be talking with friends, cultural influencers, and forward thinkers about the things that all of us need to be thinking about. Today I'm talking with one of my heroes in many ways and a mentor, Bryant Wright. Bryant is the founding pastor of Johnson Ferry Baptist Church and has served there for 35 years. Bryant was also the president of the Southern Baptist Convention from 2010 to 2012 and is the founder and president of Right From The Heart Ministries. In this conversation, Bryant and I will be talking about longevity or the value of positive movement in the same direction for a really long time. This is something that I've been thinking a lot about as I have noticed and learned the compounding interest of time and effort in the same organization. This is a really helpful conversation for anyone that has a job, lives in a neighborhood, or that's in a family. In other words, it's a helpful conversation for all of us. What is the value of longevity? I can't think of a better person to have this conversation with, and I'm honored that Bryant would join us as we think through it. So 1981, right? Christmas time? Yeah. Yeah. You moved to back to Atlanta from Houston, and you've been here ever since. That's right. I was born a month after that. I was born (laughs) January of 82. So, Well, since we're talking about longevity, then that is a good example to use. So basically, my life and your tenure here at Johnson Ferry are the same. (laughs) They're basically about... (laughs) <laughs> the same distance there. So when was it that you said to yourself, okay, like I want to be in the same place? Because inevitably you had people calling you and offering you other jobs and you know, ask you to pray about a, a different position here or there. When did you kind of say, you know, I think I'm just going to say no to that and stay here? What did that look like for you? Well, it's very clear, Jason, because it was – really on and at the end of my first sabbatical here in Which is like seven years in for you? Seven years in, in 1988. And uh, I remember coming here and thinking, you know, if I could stay in that church, get it going for 10 years, that'd be awesome because I would read these uh, stats where the average tenure of Southern Baptist pastors is like two and a half, yeah, three years yeah. at a church. And I thought 10 years, that would be incredible length of time. And being 29 years old, I mean, that was a good portion of my life. So I thought that would be yeah. awesome. But uh, during that sabbatical, I visited 36 growing churches around the country, all different denominations. And the one common denominator I found, especially of the larger growing churches, was long-tenured pastors. And so during that sabbatical, and especially at the end of the sabbatical, I just asked the Lord if he would allow me to stay all my years of ministry at Johnson Ferry, because seeing what had happened in other churches around the country with guys serving 20, 25 years, I just thought, wow, the impact they've had staying in one place. So it was a it was a definite time in my life when I came to that clarity. But at the same time, as others came along, as other pulpit committees uh, would come and talk, I would always feel like I needed to pray with them about that, but also would tell them that I really feel I'm where I'm supposed to be. And yeah. I don't want to don't want to lead you folks in any, on in any way, because I really feel I'm in the right spot, but I'll be glad to pray about it. Well, in that kind of just resolve and peace, uh, to come to it, you know, I guess you were, what, 35, 36 yeah. at the time of the sabbatical, is a powerful thing. And uh, 
Um, you know, even in our coming here, we just had, and it, like no other time in my life, and again, we're at the very, very beginning of this thing, but we had that sense of this is something that we're supposed to do for a very, very long time in in no way that I had previously had. And not that I went to the other places that I had led for, you know, thinking it would be a short time, but just there was that sense of resolve. There was that sense of calling. There was that sense of, okay, this is right. This is what the Lord has called us to do. So this is something that I've been thinking about, obviously, as just, you know, a guy on this side of it, um, you know, 30 years or so behind you here thinking, all right, what does that look like? How do I... Uh, stay the course? How do I, uh, um, you know, inevitably when you go to a new place, there's new challenges, there's new interests. So something that I think of is how do you keep this fresh? How do you keep it exciting? Um, what does that look like for you? I mean, you've been here 35 years and, uh, and but it seems like Johnson Ferry has kind of kept that energy the whole way. How, how, how have you done that personally? And how do you think that's translated to the whole church? Well, uh, I do think it keeps you challenged in the sense that uh, when pastors move every three to five years, I can't help but believe there's a lot of rehashing of material, of sermons, that kind of thing, because after all, it's there for you. Why not use that? Versus when you stay in one spot through the years, you don't have that luxury. Right, yeah. You have to constantly study, dig to stay fresh. And even when I do uh, come back and repeat the same passages that you're going to hit the Luke 2s and the John 3.16s. You're going to repeat the great passages more than once. But even then, you have to go the extra mile to stay fresh, knowing that you're doing that in the same congregation and not a new congregation in a different state or whatever. So I think it really, if you're going to stay, you have to work extra hard at staying fresh because otherwise congregation is going to get bored with your messages and not be challenged. Have the sabbaticals for you been some of those kind of anchor points of, you know, I kind of went from this sabbatical to this sabbatical. How do you look at the seasons of Johnson Ferry? Um, you know, Paige always says, I keep track of time by big Auburn football games. Like, how have you kind of said, <laughs> okay, well, this kind of marks this season and this marks this season Um in your personal ministry here? My personal ministry, I've done it in decades. I've just enjoyed personally goal setting and planning in regards to decades. And a lot of that uh, in my personal life is in regards to just finances and how much I can give to the Lord and save in a decade yeah. period. It, it just, I like to think that way. So uh, when I'm thinking long term about approach to preaching here and different things like that, it's often been in decades. But, but I think also, Jason, back to the longevity, and this is where it's an interesting time in your life. I think there's also, if there's going to be longevity, there has to be opportunity, and there, ha there needs to be fruitfulness along the way. There needs to be ongoing challenge. One of the blessings of coming to Johnson Ferry and one of the blessings you have in coming to a place like Christ's Covenant is uh, I can see where pastors in a small-town setting after two or three years— they reach a ceiling, yeah. I think, that, yeah, the ceiling aspect that we don't have to deal with near as much. There, there is a ceiling aspect in the sense that every church is going to have an ultimate ceiling related to some limitations like property and uh, parking and all those kind of things are going to be some limitations. But in a metro area like Atlanta, 
you don't have that kind of thing. And so I began to realize that in pastoring John Ferry in those first 10 years, and then after that first sabbatical, hey, uh, where else can you go yeah. to have this kind of opportunity in the sense of long-term impact? Did you see that modeled uh, throughout your life? I, I think to some degree, I think, where did you learn this? Uh, I know you've talked, your your father believed in repetition. Yeah. And uh, there was repetition power. Repetition is more lasting than impact. Yeah, yeah. and so there's, there's, there's power to that rhythm, repetition. Um, did, when did that start to gel in your mind? Was that all kind of something that the Lord had been doing? And then it just kind of said, you know what, this is right at that first sabbatical, or is this something you feel like you learned along the way? How, how would you? I think I was learning along the way. I just think that first sabbatical and, and just being so struck at the ministries that were having great impact over long haul was long tenured pastors. And that just really convicted me mm -hmm. that I would love to see that happen because I really didn't think of it in that in the long term fashion until after that experience. And I know so like I know like Frank Barker was one of the guys you visited, yeah. right? Who yeah. who were some of the churches that you visited on? That? Uh, I went to see John Bassanio at First Houston, and of course I had had uh, the experience at Second Houston with Eben, and and certainly had a visit there, but it was really more like a refresher. I'd have to go back. It was 36 churches. I remember that. And I'd have to go back and look at the names. But a lot of it was going by reputation of the churches or the pastor and just calling ahead for appointments to be with people. And I did find also that a lot of the churches that were supposedly growing great churches were by reputation, but they had hit their heyday in the past. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was obvious that they were living off a reputation of that a was 10 season, years earlier. Yeah, yeah. When... Uh so just thinking about this idea of I like the consistent movement in the same direction. I mean, that's that's what I feel like your life has so marked that something that I look to you as certainly a mentor and somebody that I look up to in that, among uh, so many other things. What is the value of that? If I were to say, what what is the value of consistent movement in a long direction? I mean, obviously you talk about the decades. There's There's a long swath of time where you can actually do some big things, but is there something that... Here's a here's a value that you may not even think about, Jason. Anything that or what 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 are some of the hidden values to that, along with some of the obvious ones? Well, I think obviously there's the trust value that occurs both in the local church and in a community when you begin to stay and build relationships. Uh, now, obviously, we have to win that trust. You have to be trustworthy. Yeah, you have to yeah. be trustworthy and have yeah. integrity if that's going to occur. But there is that opportunity for that, and. I, I think that's really probably the most valuable thing. I think mm -hmm. also, though, uh, one thing that I would look at, because I've always been so conscious of what's happening in corporate culture, um, I love reading biographies of great presidents, things like that. And and in corporate culture, I mean, look at a Truett Cathy uh, in that founding role of Chick-fil-A. Uh, here was a man that was clear on his mission, and the whole organization grew up with him able to embrace that mission. And really, there was kind of some similarities, much smaller in so many ways at Johnson Ferry sure. and the Chick-fil-A. But still, there's the, the, the whole ministry grew up with a young pastor who had a clear vision of reaching and discipling this community for Christ, and not just this community, but to have an impact on the world. And so we grew up together in that mission. And I think, you see what happens in corporate life? It, the same thing happens in ministries. Uh, so, and plus being the founder, there's something about people joining together with the founding pastor is kind of, for most people, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. Mm -hmm. And it, it, you feel like you're, you're a pioneer 
and then God hopefully begins to bless, and you can be a part of something that God is doing. You know, you mentioned Truett, Kathy, and to me, one of the interesting things about the Chick-fil-A organization, I think, to to exactly your point, is how much success they've experienced recently. Oh, yeah. You know, I think it took them, you know, 40 years to get to a billion dollars, and they've basically grown a billion dollars every year since then. And, uh, you know, and and even since True Kathy's been gone, but I think the— the 40 years of just consistency, doing things the right way, doing things well, and, and learning a lot along the way, obviously, is like now finally you know, paying off. Yeah. And, uh, and I see that here. I think that one of the things that I really believe, I mean, obviously, if and you know, when you are to leave Johnson Ferry, it's going to be a huge, huge loss to this church and community. But there's so much, there's so much strength in this church beyond just you. Absolutely. And I think that that's... Absolutely. And that flywheel effect that that uh, Jim Collins talks about uh, in Good to Great. And of course, his his book Built to Last before that was tremendously impactful on me in leading Johnson Ferry. But there's a momentum that gets built, right? And builds on that momentum, and uh, that's what they saw happening in the great corporations around the world. It just it was very hard to get it going. You got you know real difficult to yeah. get that big. But then once it gets going, the just the excitement about that. People, it becomes contagious. I assure you, it's a lot easier um, after 20 years here, 30 years here recruiting staff than it was in those first five oh, yeah. or 10 years. I mean, they, what what do you have to offer somebody? They have to, one, be a real pioneer, but they're really not sure where the church is going to be. That's it, right. It's yeah. such a new animal in their mind. <laughs> they're not sure they can really get a handle on it. So, good night. The staff recruitment in those early days was a lot of disappointing turndowns that I had the vision for it, I had the excitement for it, but that doesn't necessarily they can't mean see other it. people. Well, that can that catch uh, <laughs> that is encouraging for me to hear, Brian. Uh, I uh, uh, yeah, I mean, even now, I mean, I'm saying to people, well, you know, I can't promise you a salary next year, <laughs> yeah, but right. uh, this year <laughs> we uh, could, we could cover the basic. Nature. That's right. That's right. What are the negatives to? Well, I think the negatives that. That we have to work against is uh, just the familiarity, the uh, fact that you can get in a routine with what is familiar and lose your creativity. So I do think if you do wind up staying a long time and the ministry stays fresh or a corporate culture stays fresh, the leader has to constantly be learning, constantly be seeing what's happening in other churches and culture as a whole. I think you constantly are learning to stay fresh in that regard. Otherwise, you really can get stale from the familiarity of what has been going on. And then I think things be- begin to lose the fruitfulness that mm-hmm. you so desire. Yeah, it's easy to create your own echo chamber. That's right. And just live that, in it. That's right. Absolutely. So what have been some of the seasons here where you're like, that was hard, and I, and even in the middle of them, maybe you know you thought maybe the Lord is moving me on. I mean, and I know this has been a happy and a fruitful time, but what have been some of those difficult seasons? What was the nature of them, and how did you endure through those? Well, let's talk about two things there: difficult seasons, then remind me about the times where I wondered if it was time to move on because they were okay. They're really not that related. The most difficult season was in the probably third to fourth year, fifth year, probably. When um, the church was just exploding and really growing rapidly, so you got some normal growing pains in doing that. But interestingly enough, 
some of the early families really had a hard time with the direction of the church, and they were so invested. They had given so much in time, resources, energy for getting the church off the ground, and it wasn't evolving in the way that they had in mind. Right. And so what happens in those situations is the people usually take that out on the pastor. I mean, he's, he's the fault of all that. And it was an interesting season because the church was growing so rapidly. We, we kidded a moment ago about percentages. You really have great percentages in those early years. It's easy to, <laughs> to look really yeah, good yeah. on percentages yeah. uh, because the numbers are so small. But we're having great percentage growth in so many different ways. People come to Christ. But behind the scenes, oh, my goodness, I was catching it with uh, so much tension in meetings and people that had really been actively involved, unhappy about things. And I literally just would wake up a lot of mornings in that third and fourth year, have my quiet time, and wonder if that small group of folks had had a meeting the night before and they just decided they didn't want this young pastor to be their pastor. Mm -hmm. Uh, I really didn't know if I was going to make it. It became so intense at times. And so the reason John Safari went with an elder leadership, uh, I I couldn't, when I began to study about governance in the church, uh, biblically, I got real convicted about elder leadership, and I literally could not find a single Southern Baptist church that had elder leadership. Not single one. I'm sure there were, but I could not find one anywhere in the country. And this is what, 86? This was seven, in 86 and 7 when I was really yeah. beginning to think through that, and we went with the decision, I believe it was 87 or early 88. Anyway, uh, that was kind of the culmination point. And some of those early families, that was kind of the final straw for them. I mean, we were not going to be a Southern Baptist church yeah. if we had elders. Yeah, he wants and to take was, us Presbyterian. I mean, this is uh, this yeah. is just out there, you know. So even though it was a biblical decision that we made, it it brought about that season where some of those early families realized this just isn't for me. And it's and because in those early days you know people so much better and it's so much smaller in those early days, it hurts as a pastor. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. feel rejection. Uh, it's just a, a real thing there. And they were a lot of good folks that had meant so much to the church in the early days, but they became very unhappy. Uh, so once we went with the elders, though, there has been a growing unity in the church since that time. I mean, it's really mm-hmm. been amazing what happened when we stepped out on faith, decided if we were going to be denominational or biblical, we were going to choose the biblical route, and God has blessed that tremendously. So you, so that was the difficult that was the season. hardest time. And then sometimes where you thought— uh, Times where uh, there were just seasons where I would say a mixture of boredom, a mixture of— plateau, a mixture of familiarity that I just wondered, uh, have I led this church as far as the Lord is calling me to do so? Uh, And it was interesting that it seemed to parallel when I, I remember one time after about 10 years, there were about three really significant churches that their pope committees reached out within about two or three months, and you're just... I can't help but get your attention. Sure, yeah. You're wondering what's what's going on here. And so sometimes those things would go hand in hand. Sometimes it was just in a time where I was not feeling quite as challenged or whatever mm-hmm. uh, in that regard. But uh, I do uh, remember John Sanyo telling me on that first uh, sabbatical, he said, young man, if I know your listeners probably don't know John Sanyo, very big man, First Baptist Houston, had an incredible ministry in those days, but he's a young man. Rome wasn't built in a day. Don't you forget that. It took many years. You just hang in there where you are. You know, he really encouraged me about 
staying in one place and the advantage of all that. He has some wise words, uh, just practical, a lot of practical wisdom from John Bassanio. So what have been some of the best seasons? You're like, this, is, this was such a great time, and how has that served your longevity? Well, I think uh, it was obviously those early days when things were happening so fast and the church was exploding. That was tremendously exciting. I think uh, then when God gave me personal clarity about the elders, that was tremendously exciting because of what God did from that. I also think when one of my prayer partners, Randy Pope, at Perimeter Church here in Atlanta, uh, recommended me read Jim Collins' Built to Last uh, about the great corporations of America for over 50 years in their particular area, that they discovered they not only had mission statements, but they had core values within the DNA of the corporate culture. I realized wow, uh, I know a, a church is not a business. It's an organism, not an organization. I understand all that, but it is a group of people that have a certain mission. And just getting clarity about mission and core values was a re-energizing time for me. That was at about the 13th, 14th year, though. That was that was well into mm-hmm. it. But I felt like it was a extra shot for the congregation as we begin to have even greater unity and greater focus as a congregation. I think also uh, in the 90s when um, I asked Ricky Wheeler, who was our student pastor at the time, to pray about the student ministry, and he was led to challenge those senior high students to go on a mission trip over spring break. That mission trip, little did we know then, was a galvanizing time that began a God movement of 30-something people on that mission trip that year to where now we're having about 2,000 people a year go on short-term trips around the globe. But we have never said, we've got a goal this year to have 1,500. We've got a goal this year to have 1,000. It's just literally been the movement of God year in and year out that we see these increases. Now, we've kind of plateaued at about 1,900 to 2,000 over the last three or four years, but that's still almost half the Sunday morning worship going on mission trips during the year and giving up vacation time, financial resources to do it. That's and, and I That's love been that exciting. you just explained it. It starts with a group of senior uh, high school yeah. students, and it changes the whole church. It really changed Johnson Ferry. And, and, and in so many ways, that has echoed out from Johnson Ferry. Other churches have caught that vision. I mean, even in your presidency at Southern Baptist Convention, it was a big rallying cry. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, and again, w- that, the nexus of that was a group of high school students uh, stepping fun, out of faith. A That's very small beginning, which is why I challenge small churches to realize any church, no matter what your size, can take a mission trip. You can mm-hmm. take one and then just see what God does in your church. Well, and you know, when I was at New Washington in Indiana, we took their first mission trip. We How about took that? 12 people. How about that? Nine of them had never been on an airplane before. <laughs> How about that? And we went to, to went to Guatemala. And it's still, I still get their prayer list. This was 2006. That That's great. And I still get this church's prayer list. And the first, we went to Agua Viva Children's Home in Guatemala. And the first item on the long-term prayer list is Agua Viva Children's Home. And they haven't gone on a mission trip since. That was the only one they've gone on. About that? But it really changed that church and changed their faith. And gave them more of a worldview that they would have never had. Yeah, and it really but gave, right, it gave them a, a massive worldview. And uh, it's something that those people, it's an anchor of their faith forever. So that was a great experience, you know, for me. That's right. I would say one other thing. Uh, there was another season of, of renewed excitement for me in serving as convention president and I think it obviously was a new challenge and, a, and just opens a whole 
larger world of ministry and kingdom enterprise out there that's just a tremendous experience. But I think what happened is, as I was just seeking to plow the ground here at Johnson Ferry for 25 years or so, um, then the Lord just gave us a larger platform for a couple of years mm-hmm. that just kind of was put in our lap that really, it really energized me in having an even greater world vision for taking the gospel to the whole world through that experience. So, you know, that was an unexpected thing because sure. I do remember when we went with an elder leadership in the late 80s, a uh, couple of pastors told me, well, Brian, you'll never have to worry about serving in any kind of denominational role doing something <laughs> that radical. But obviously God had other plans. Sure. So you mentioned Ricky Wheeler earlier, and, uh, you know, I, I love the camaraderie and teamwork that exists in the Johnson Ferry staff. And it's really trickled down to the my generation of guys on the staff. You're, you kind of have an interesting team here in that do. Yeah. you've got some old foot soldiers that have been with you That's for right. a long time. Right. But then you got a bunch of really young, talented guys and to me, that's a there's a beautiful um, mix between those because I think both uh, groups probably uh, help the other with the bad tendencies that they could have, that's right. you know, and Absolutely. they both probably encourage the good tendencies that they could have. Talk to me a little bit about that. How have you kept those guys around? And then what kind of effect have you seen with having some of the old team around, but also being able to have a renewed, you know, younger team with new vision? Well, you know, the beauty of longevity and staff is that we know one another, trust one another, and uh, it it frees me up as the pastor, and that through the years, I have handed off more and more to our long-tenured staff, because we know one another, we're on the same mission, we're clear about our mission and core values, so like those two years as convention president, it really came at a wonderful time, and that with the four executive staff at the time, uh, the shortest tenure of any of them was 20 years. So, yeah. so we so knew one another. I could just call back to one of those guys and get caught up on something I needed to get caught up on. I might be in an airport somewhere in Phoenix. Or right, yeah. So that was a good timing in that regard. But I think I think on the long-tenured staff, it's it, you have it when you give people a clear perspective of what their role is and the freedom to fulfill their job and their ministry and be it's not that you're completely hands off but you're certainly not micromanaging nothing is so discouraging to those we lead than micromanaging in their area we want to recognize that our staff around us they've got expertise i do not have sure. and and let them thrive and i do think the beauty of the mega church is that you allow people to really specialize in their area of giftedness and passion a small church people have to be a general practitioner doctor mm-hmm. but in a mega church you get your specialist doctors uh, that that really get in their sweet spot. And that's that's wonderful to see. Now I think the millennials that are now on our staff keeps us all fresh. Yeah. Because I'm not I'm never gonna instinctively think like a millennial. Just like a millennial's never gonna instinctively think like a baby boomer. But but the synergy there of us meeting and doing ministry together is rich. Plus I do find that millennials are longing to be mentored. Well, and I think and, they're and, uh, a lot more mature than most millennial pastors that, and I say this, I guess, as a millennial pastor, but, you know, my, for what it's worth, my impression of the guys that you have around you are much more mature than a lot of their contemporaries because of the environment that they're in. I think they're allowed to see these guys. There is a mentoring that's going on. 
and they're growing up a lot quicker than they would in a different environment. So, yeah. and I, I think a lot of that is we really do give them a lot of responsibility. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, it's kind of a sink or swim thing. Sure, yeah. As far as being on the staff here. Well, and I think one of the things that I've heard probably five or six times in this conversation is trust, trust, trust. How do you build the longevity of team? Trust. What is being in a place for a long time in a community? Trust. And so to me, that trust, that that trust is such a is such a victory of this. And that's that's incredibly valuable for pastoral ministry, obviously. It's also incredibly valuable for any organization. And there's so many organizations that you see that are ruled by fear or ruled by uh, the hope of success, and there's no trust. And um, I think what I see here that I aspire to is that, is, is an environment where there's trust and there's, uh, there's true love that's built within yeah. that. I do think our team-building retreats that we do here are hugely important for building that because we have time away from the church to really get to know one another as mm-hmm. people and to love one another as that Christian brother or sister in Christ. And that that has really helped. I think also really encouraging the staff to have weekly Sabbaths, really encouraging the staff to keep family as a priority before the ministry, not before Jesus, but before your ministry. I think those kind of things help build that trust along the way. So for a 35-year-old guy... Uh, 30 years behind you here. Uh, I've, I've learned so much from you already. Um, I certainly admire you. What, what advice can you give me as we close? Best advice I can give you is to love Jesus. Just have the passion of your life to follow Jesus, to glorify Jesus. If you can do that, if you can love Paige and your kids, Jason, it's going to be an incredible run with the gifts and talents you've got, the leadership you've got that God has blessed you with. But if you don't love Jesus and you don't love Paige and your kids, well, you'll just turn out sorry as hang as, as some of the guys that come all the way. So it's really that simple. Love well, Jesus, love Paige, love your kids, and the Lord will be glorified. Well, that's a good word to end on. Thank you so much, Bryant. Uh, so grateful for you. For Bryant Wright, I'm Jason Dees, encouraging you to think through it.